Hello and welcome to the Doc Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike DeLuke, and it's my mission to help you lead a happier, healthier, and more prosperous life, both personally and professionally. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of the Doc Podcast. Today's edition is is titled Incorporating Life-Changing Interceptive Treatment into Your Practice. Today, I have the pleasure of uh, interviewing my close friend and colleague, Dr. Jeff Rothenberg. Jeff did his undergrad at USF, where he majored in chemistry, went to dental school at Nova Southeastern, and was actually in their inaugural charter class. He did his ortho residency at UConn, and he was a year ahead of me. That's actually where we got to know one another. Had lots of good times and and laughs during residency, and uh, we've remained very close friends uh, ever since. Uh, Jeff's got an amazing practice in Aventura, Florida, uh, which was his hometown, and he's just truly an amazing orthodontist. I've had the pleasure of visiting his practice and his patients and staff absolutely adore him. One of the many things I admire about Jeff is that he's always striving to learn and implement new things into his practice in an effort to improve his skills and become a better doc uh, to his patients. And to that point, he's joining me while he's uh, out in California at an interview um, or at a meeting for Lightforce. So he's hopping on to do this this interview and this podcast while he's uh, at the meeting. So I greatly appreciate him ta- taking the time to do that. And maybe we'll talk a little bit more about uh, what his experiences with Lightforce are a little bit later in the episode. So with that, I want to welcome you, Jeff, and, and thanks so much for for joining me on the Doc Podcast. Yeah, no, of course, this is, this is an honor, and uh, and really, I just, we enjoy each other, we enjoy learning from each other, and bouncing ideas off each other, so uh, yeah, any way I can help, and, and uh, yeah, no, this is, this will be fun. Yeah, I'm look, looking forward to it, and like you said, we've just, over the years, no matter what, whether good, bad, and different going on with our practices, we've always, whether we just need an event, or had some cool ideas of something we discovered, or uh, a product or whatever it might be. Um, we, we've always just been able to pick up the phone or shoot a text and, and be on the same wavelength with that. And uh, it's, it's, it's helped me. I know it helped me a lot through, through different times. Uh, like I said, even if it was just to kind of blow off some steam and, and, and just chat. Um, so appreciate that and, and the friendship and, and you doing this. So before we get oh, too deep good. into it, um, let me know if you would just tell me a little bit about kind of your family, you, your practice, uh, just give everybody a little bit of a, of an overview of, of who you are and what your practice is about. Uh, yeah, so, so I'm a native to the South Florida area. And, and fortunately I, I practice where I grew up within a couple miles of where I grew up. I, I went to school there, lived there and, and now I'm practicing there, which I'm very grateful and fortunate to have. Uh, I have a family, a uh, wife, and and two two boys in uh, high school, and and uh, I cherish them while I got them. Of course, uh, they got one step out the door ready. Of course, like mm-hmm. uh, we all well, we all did. Um, and uh, I, I I basically came back to my hometown. I lived in Florida for forever, and uh, I only left for residency. And I went to Yukon, uh, Connecticut, just because uh, it was a special special place, special program, and. Uh, and of course, I, I came back and and, uh, and now I just so I started my own practice for five, six years and then joined into a different practice uh, with because I, I really just saw the potential of, of doing more, utilizing my mind with more. Um, and, and and the practice is great. It's uh, my team is better than I am and, and they make me better than I am. And you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. 
Um, and I've always had the, the concepts of being able to implement different techniques and, mm -hmm. and, and observing what, what is effective, what isn't, uh, what is the literature support. And, uh, and I've been able to do that. And yet I'm still modifying, changing just to improve, always trying to improve. And uh, so um, I'm family guy. I'm outside 100% every single day. Uh, I, I need to be in that sun. I need to be in that heat. And uh, you inspired me uh, to move to South Florida. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never saw that coming. That's for sure. It was all the texts um, of you uh, texting me uh, warm weather pictures and and pictures of uh, the temperature there when it was 10 below in upstate New York. And, and it, it finally broke me down. Yeah, it broke me down because it was like <laughs> 75. I was chilled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me you're cool. Now I get it. Now being down here at 70, it's like oh, a little, little, little cool today. Um, definitely different, different world down here, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, seeing the life you live down here as well and the lifestyle you had, it definitely did inspire me to, to, to be interested in this area as, as kind of my, my home for my second half of my uh, career and, and life. So, um, no, that's great. And I can, I can personally attest to the fact that, uh, Jeff's team, I mean, just amazing your practice. It's the reputation you have in the community, um, is, is really cool. And I've seen it firsthand. So, and, and to that point, the developing and constantly wanting to learn, I think is one of the things that you were able to made you able to and open to when we would talk about some of this stuff I was doing with phase one and and treating kids earlier. Um, other colleagues I would talk to about things, especially in my community at meetings and such, they, they didn't want to hear about it. Uh, they didn't want to hear about it. And we'll, we'll dive a little deeper into that in a little bit as maybe some of the reasons why our colleagues don't do this. But but with you, we would talk about it. And even if it wasn't something you necessarily agreed with or was in your comfort zone, you would question me on it. You would ask me questions. You would ask me to substantiate the things I was telling you I was seeing. Um, and then we'd talk again a month later and you would ask me more questions about it. And you're always looking to step it up and 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 continue to improve what you do. And as I said, to the point that you're out in California now learning a new technology with Lightforce. And, and I think that's, it's not a coincidence that that's why you ended up trying to implement this approach years ago. Um, and kind of on that note, when I first started asking, talking to you about this, so um, it, it's our, to our recollection when we were, when we were chatting about this, we I think it's probably about 10 years ago that I started to kind of talk to you, maybe a little more 10, 12 years ago, around 2010 ish, maybe. So a little longer that I started talking about, I was expanding patients upper and lower, which coming out of UConn talking about putting expanders in lower patients, you were like, Dude, what are you doing? Um, and so we started chatting about that. And at that time I was using upper and lower expanders, which on the doc website and in my courses, I, I go into in a little more detail and uh, actually in some of the, the previous podcasts as well, like what that looked like. But after doing that for years, I, so at that point I was explaining it to you and then we'll talk in a moment about the transition uh, from expanders to braces to do that. But when I first started talking to you about it going way back, so the first time I said like, hey, look, I'm putting expanders in upper and lower kids young, and this is what I'm seeing. I mean, what what did you think? And and uh, kind of talk me through your thought process and and then kind of how you imp started to implement it and what you saw. Well, I think the great the great part of our program, that Connecticut philosophy was foundation. Uh, mm -hmm. understanding the mechanics behind things. And, and I think we question everything. Yep. Uh, uh, you know, we were supposed to be skeptical, skeptical of, of all of it. Yep. Uh, but we weren't just supposed to dismiss it before we considered it. Uh, 
did I think that it was, you know, taboo, if you want to call it that? Sure. It <laughs> yeah. was, it was, I knew of people doing it. It just wasn't ever in my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I questioned it, but I didn't say no. Uh, I wanted to understand the rationale behind it. And that really should be with, with all the new aspects and what is literature support and those kind of things. Um, but the approach and the, the objective made complete sense mm-hmm. and, yep. and that's that's what a lot of what we're going to discuss today is uh you know not just treating the symptoms but treating the why is it here to begin with what is the etiology what is the diagnosis and that's what you were doing you were just looking at an approach to gaining space and uh and we had a background in residency about airway and sleep apnea and some of our professors mm-hmm. went on to to preach it for their career careers Mm -hmm. so and that is you know 2001 I was in you know 20 plus years that I would say that's early in what today's discussion is about sleep apnea Mm -hmm. um so you were addressing it from the beginning I think you were a little off the rocker yeah but I I did from (laughs) when we first met I say Uh, that so that's that's quite all right that's uh far from the course so um yeah, it, and and I think that's a great point about UConn because so many times people be like, oh my God, UConn, you know, they they don't teach that. But I, and I say exactly what you said. I said, yep, they didn't. And and Dr. Nan, if you're watching or you hear this, she's probably like, what are the, you know, what are you doing expanding the lower? But even that, when once he saw it, he got it, and he would he pushed that envelope uh, with with his approach. He they want Burstone going back. I mean, they wanted us to challenge what we saw, um, what we were told, and they wanted us to do it from a basis of science and biomechanics, but to to push that envelope. And, and I think as they see this and see what's happening more, um, they're going to be proud of, of the way we've evolved our practices, because you just you can't get stuck practicing one set way. And, and that's where that Yukon mind that, that both of us developed in our time there made us question things. And I always said that gave me the tools to basically practice how I thought was best for my patients. It didn't teach me a, a way like, okay, use this bracket and this wire. And it's this formula you use for every patient. It taught us the principles of biomechanics and the fundamentals of the biology of tooth movement. And then when I started seeing, getting into, when I started seeing what I was seeing with these younger kids, when I got into practice, I would kind of what tipped me off was when I was first in there, I'm looking going, gosh, you know, there's a lot of crowding, but the teeth, like something's not right. And this was when I first came out early two thousands and I didn't really understand. I was in my own practice. I had no one to ask questions. Um, and I didn't really understand why I was seeing what I was seeing because in residency, one of the disadvantages is you just don't get a lot of seven, eight year old patients to treat. Uh, At least we didn't. And I think I I know in a lot of residencies, talking to residents, um, giving lectures at residency programs, they don't, they don't get a lot. It's kind of the norm not to. So I was like, I don't really, you know, I felt so prepared to, to treat any case from a complexity standpoint that I could face biomechanically with braces, but starting on a young kid, I'm like, Okay. Um, you know, do I pull teeth? Do I not? So I, that's where I started diving deeper into, well, why is it so crowded? And if I'm going to, going to do this, I think I should figure out why it's crowded before I just start pulling teeth. Well, maybe the teeth aren't the problem. And that was what spurred me on to start to look deeper into it. And then I started researching the concept of expanding the lower arch and, and so on and so forth. Um, at that time doing it with expanders. And then what I started to see happen, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> this is this is really cool. And that's when I would be talking to you like, dude, I can't believe what I'm seeing happen here. It, it's really cool. And yes, there's a side effect. A lot of times you don't pull a lot of teeth, 
Yeah, but I, I, I never, I mean, you could tell me I'm wrong, but it wasn't like I called you and I was like, dude, we can stop pulling teeth or, or you don't have to pull teeth. I mean, I don't think that's ever, again, that's not the Yukon mentality that it's an always never. It's a, hey, look, when you've got a kid that presents in ABC way, you can, you can look at that a little, a little differently. So when you first started doing that, after we had going back to like expanders and we'll come to the, the evolution to the braces side in a moment, what was it like? How was your experience? I mean, obviously I know you can elaborate if you'd like, but putting expanders in seven, eight year olds isn't always the most fun thing. So talk a little bit about kind of how it went for you when you started doing it with the old, the old way, so to speak, that I was doing it with expanders. It, it uh, you know, it, the reason we're doing all this is really for, for the individual. And it's always an individualized treatment planning concept. So not everybody's going to get that expander or, or braces or, point. or yep. taking out teeth. And that's where we have to differentiate. At the end of the day, what's our responsibility? It's uh, looking at, you know, if, if, if you, you're getting adults and they're all broken down already, it's how did they get there to begin with? So yep. here you have these young kids and you can influence this going forward uh, exponentially and i find that i would do it strategically and maybe i would start with the the top expander uh just initially to have it in the mouth and have that comfort level before mm -hmm. i proceeded to the lower uh, and i take that approach for braces you know if i have a, a really deep bite and i need to you know put braces on the bottom teeth and they're going to occlude on all of them and now i got to put bite blocks i mean that's overwhelming on one visit for you know a young child so I just uh, pick and choose how how I do it, and I walk them through it. And and when they're successful in it, uh, it's rewarding and it's life changing for them. So when they come in the next time, it's like okay, they sit in that chair and they're they're way more comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, even if it's putting the expander in and saying don't turn it for the first weekend, mm -hmm. you know you got it on Friday, sure. have it in a couple of days, get used to all the food getting stuck in there, and now you're not sore or discomfort, and and now you start uh, activating it. So it's a rapid concept, you know, it's going to be accomplished quickly. So, uh, yeah, no, it, it was, uh, the kids do better than the parents. I mean, my yeah. kids had expanders for their reasons and it was upper only and I don't use as many expanders, uh, as I used to, that's mm -hmm. for sure. But, um, they do better than the parents. Uh, and that's our responsibility to get these children through this experience successfully, hopefully. Yeah. I agree. And and they're, they are, they're so resilient. I think looking at some of the reasons I think a lot about this and, and, and I have this in my courses and podcasts where I, I hypothesize why I think this is, but I think one of the reasons that people, our colleagues shy away from doing this is the intimidation of treating a seven, eight year old kid. I don't, you and I both love the young kids, you know, with the few we saw in residency, we just, we just enjoyed it. And, um, I find a lot of times, I mean, they're easier to do. They're easier than the teenagers. They're much easier than the yeah. adult patients. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're so pliable. You can tip them upside down to get, you know, to look in yeah. Yeah, they want to do it. Yeah. I mean, they, they can't wait. It, I break their hearts when I tell them no. Yeah. They, uh, they, 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 they're just easy and they're fun. Um, and then that, that being said, what I started to notice is, um, some kids were, I mean, as time went on, kids were a little, are getting a little rest, less resilient. And and the parents, it's like you said, it's the parents though. The kids would be fine, but the parents just started being, you know, really making so much drama over these expanders. And and it was just, you know, oh, so-and-so or their brother had them or this or that, or their friend had them and they couldn't eat for weeks. And 
So you'd start to, the kid would get psyched out a little bit. And, uh, and then there's the other side of expanders, as we know, the food caught, as you said, and the, the loose bands and the 445 in the clinic and kind of all those little, those things that, that, that happen, tongue ulcerations and so forth. And so I started about, it was like 2011 ish that I started having some kids who had some special needs and just weren't, I knew I couldn't get expanders on them. I just, I just knew it. And I talked to the parents and they were like, it just, it won't happen. And uh, they were on somewhere on the spectrum Asperger's. So I, they like, but please doc, don't make me send, you know, send him to get teeth pulled because um, he has to go under general anesthesia. And if we do this, you know, they asked me how many times would teeth have to get pulled? And I'm like, two, maybe three, you know, we'd have a few sittings if we took them down a serial exopath. And they said, is there anything else you can do? And I started the, I said, well, you know, I guess we could, we could try to put some braces on. I don't know if it's going to work, but if it doesn't, okay, great. We take them off and we pull teeth. I mean, as long as you're okay with trying it and we agreed that the patients would be able to sit for braces and the parents said they could care for the braces. And that's really how it started. I, I had some, some patients who were really troubled and, and emotionally, and they just, they wouldn't have tolerated these expanders. And it broke my heart to be like, well, I'm just going to now basically do the wrong thing on you, essentially send you to treat the symptom instead of the etiology, which I was so against. And sometimes you need a little, you know, oral sedative in the morning and, and so forth. But, but the point was, is they could tolerate it and they did great. Oh my God, these kids, they ended up, they were, they were obsessed with their hygiene. They were so diligent. They, they were, they were great patients and man, it worked. And so all of a sudden, you know, you see all, you put these braces, full braces on these kids, seven, eight years old, and they come back eight weeks later and you're going, Whoa, how did that just happen? I'd been cranking expander, you know, lower expander for four or five months, once a week, trying to get dental tipping to upright those. And, and in eight weeks with a 014 night tie wire, I'm like, like they, they're starting to, to open space. And, and that's just kind of how it evolved. So I, I was very careful initially. And I'm going to ask you in a moment, kind of leading you into what, what you, how you did this. I was very careful initially. And I don't even know if we talked about this at any point back then to just kind of tread lightly. And I would tell people, I actually put it in my informed consents. I would say, you know, I don't know if this is going to work, but worst case, if it was a, a kid who could not handle expanders, I would put it in that we would have to pull teeth. If it was a kid who could, I would say, we'll have to take the braces off and place expanders. And I started doing it that way just because I didn't want to mislead them. And I didn't want some to do something that wasn't going to work. I, sure. Truth be told, I never once had to add an expander on a kid, I started without it. But when you started it and then kind of taking it to that transition that I just explained that I went through from using expanders to braces, how did that go after we talked about that? And I was telling you, hey, look, I'm actually not doing this with expanders anymore. What were you thinking when I said that? And then how did that how did that go through in your practice? Well, first I thought you were off your rocker <laughs> before. I, I remember now, that one. You're like, what? Now he, he, he's knee deep. In, he, <laughs> He's drowning here. Uh, no, I, again, you know, just listening with a little bit of, you know, my guard up. Uh, it's about being predictable, you know, offering a service that's predictable. Mm -hmm. um, but I considered it. I listened to it. And, you know, I, I racked my own brain on the, da the, the pros and the cons. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when... So, so phase one, when we really started our careers 20 years ago, wasn't as prevalent as it is now. Mm. And, uh, and I don't want to say it was taboo, but it, it was it involved 
you know, upper, it's, it's, it's very common now for kids to have two phases of treatment. Mm-hmm. And there were early studies, there were like three studies that were really out on, you know, does phase one reduce uh, treatment time? Does it reduce extractions and, and those concepts? And there were great studies. And, uh, but, you know, still questioning, I, I would pick and choose and I would say, okay, this is developing class one and there's crowding and I don't necessarily need to do anything. The arches are constricted. I'm going to wait and treat in one phase. And I did, uh, I did that probably the first 10 years of my career, but then, you know, listening to you, like what we've been discussing, it was, you know, why, why am I going to address this as a teenager? If mm-hmm. I know it's going to be a problem as a teenager, mm-hmm. why am I not addressing this before it's, you know, a really a, a long-term problem? Um, and it's just looking at what is the ideology and what are our, what are our objectives? And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I'm not waiting for heart disease to then start exercising and right. eating healthy. Point, you know, I'm yeah. going to address it young and early. Um, so, so I, I, you know, the concerns for me, I would say initially were root development on, on max mm-hmm. yeah, I remember you asking laterals yeah. specifically, yeah. uh, you know, and, and am I going to damage putting brackets on a developing tooth? That right. was a consideration, uh, premature loss of primary teeth. Um, that was a concern and, and I'll, you know, discuss that. And I would argue that primary teeth, the function of primary teeth is about space maintenance. It's not right. about eating. I mean, you're going to eat no matter what it is, uh, yep. if you have no teeth. Um, so I want to be able to preserve those teeth. Am I going to cause, you know, decay and, and those issues? Um, so I tried it just the same. I, I looked at these cases and uh, I, the norm and the common thing uh, around the community of orthodontists that I see is upper expanders. And we, we discussed this in the past and, and two by fours or four mm-hmm. anterior brackets and, yep. and nothing and nothing on the lower arch. Yep. So you have two constricted arches. Yep. And if you really look at all the majority of these patients, you look at the lower dentition, it's all rolled to the lingual. It's all narrow and yep. rolled uh, lingually. So so now you've expanded the upper arch and now you have, you know, you're just at the point of a, a crossbite or a brody yep. bite and you're you're not allowed to expand anymore. You're, you're limited on how much right. more you can expand. But if I address the lower arch, that gives me more room for for both arches to be developed. Yep. And when I started addressing it with kids and putting brackets on versus expanders, they, it's depending on skeletal development and skeletal maturity. Uh, and when you really intervene, I think seven and eight is different from ten and eleven Completely. or nine and ten. Completely. So, so uh, the changes were incredible, and the responses were were exponentially better. And we're we're going to dive into that, but uh, the resistance from staff, the resistance from me, not so much. I mean, they looked at me like, "Now I'm the guy off my rocker," and uh, but the principles of bonding are the same. You're just looking at a different anatomy of a, of a tooth, and that's part of the challenge in learning that. Um, but you know, walking a a young kid through this experience and getting them through it chair side is very similar um maybe you know you just have to hold their hand a little bit more um but no they they did fine i think the bonding technique is is very similar and uh the experience is very similar and and you're putting braces on that's what you're doing i mean yeah i don't i completely agree i 
in the courses I built, the CE courses um, that I built for Doc, the first ones, it I went into the a lot of the things you just touched on and the research and the data. And, it, and it's funny, you're right. Kind of, it seemed like when we were in residency, early 2000s, there were, uh, Ginelli had put out some articles in the 90s and early, and I think it was like, oh, one, um, really kind of against phase one. And it seemed kind of the prevailing wisdom at that time was, was really trying to make it about, oh, people just want to charge twice. And, and that was a lot of what it was. Uh, Tun K in Philly, he had one saying that anybody who was saying that phase one was really beneficial, it was quackery. And, you know, I mean, I, and again, in my, in my courses, I actually pull the articles and go into it in detail and not that I want to bore everybody with that part now, but, but there were, there were a lot of studies out there kind of saying, yeah, maybe this isn't right. And then um, the study by Bell and, and some people started to publish saying, well, no, there, there's another side to this here. And I think some of the resistance is the way we, we talked about one of them, just people aren't really comfortable treating seven, eight year olds and, and, I don't really know why, like you said, they're, they do great. Um, and in the uh, one course too, I go into a lot of detail on the tell show do and, and how to, um, you know, like you said, they, they need their handheld a little more for sure. Uh, you, you can't just, you know, it's not the cool guy, 14 year old boy who's going to hop in your chair and act like everything's fine. I mean, they need to be walked right. through it a little more, but once you follow those steps and understand how that process goes it is still the same process you're just doing it a little bit differently for these for these younger kiddos and what i always I, what i never understood was okay we learned the fundamentals of occlusion right we learned and this is what you and i talked about way back when you were asking me some really good and hard questions on why i was doing this i said Jeff, look at those lower molars. Look at that lower arch, right? It's caved in, you know, and McNamara has the, the shoe and the foot concept. If you expand the shoe that, you know, the foot has more room. And while in some cases, if you expand the upper, I do see that. And in McNamara studies, he talks about it. They also admit that it's not really predictable who gets significant Mm -hmm. lower arch decompensation as a result right. of expanding the upper. At least I certainly never saw it. it, saw it consistently. I would see one case. I'm like, oh my God, look at their lower. It, it expanded. And then I look at another case. I'm like, like you said, you, you, you go as wide as you can to get the upper as wide as you can to the lower. And you look at the lower and you're like, I, I want to get that lower. And I thought it was so funny because a lot of people will, who, who kind of shun the idea of going in young and expanding and developing these arches which incidentally, the concept has been around since the early 1900s, one of the studies like 1913. It's, I, it's, it, it's always amazing to me in orthodontics how, you know, everything that uh, we do is, is something that is, um, been thought of or done and at some point, but I'm full circle, sure. yeah, completely. And, and it goes in these sort of peaks and, and valleys of, of, of theory and philosophy. But when I looked at these people, a lot of them put expanded lip bumpers in, or they'll expand their lower holding arch. Or they'll expand a TPA or they'll put a quad helix in or something like that without even think or expand a headgear bow, right? As they're expanding. I mean, we learned, oh, get, you know, cheat, get a little expansion into there. So they're fine with that, but you say you're going to put braces on them and do it. And it's like, oh my God, why would you ever do that? That's over treatment. You're, you're doing it twice. So it, it never made sense to me why, as you alluded to, I would leave this narrow constricted arch just because it's not something we really do in, in treating it young in, in that. I always thought the same thing. I thought, man, and maybe the benefit too of, of in residency, we didn't get a lot of phase one, but what we did get was a lot of really, really, really severe malocclusions uh, in at 12, 13 years old. And because the way 
it was with us, and I think a lot of residencies are the same, is scoring for state funding purposes. Um, you can't score, unless they have a post-year crossbite, they don't count the baby teeth. So these people don't qualify necessarily for for um, to get their, their services covered. So we would have to essentially, I mean, think about this. We would have to literally, we'd see some of these kids young and we just put on a mount observation. And then we'd have to clean it up at 12, 13, 14. And ironically, I think it made us much better orthodontists because cleaning that up is where you and I would sit there in residency and brainstorm over these cases and figure out ways to be creative and do cool things. But at the same time, if you can stop them from getting to that point, <laughs> like you said with the heart, the heart surgery, uh, the heart disease, it's, it's a great analogy. Why would you not want to be more proactive? And that was the part, like, I never could understand why our profession was, and still a lot of people are so resistant to being more proactive and not letting these cases um, deteriorate to the point where you have these long, grueling, comprehensive treatments that don't ever get the most ideal results. So, and we'll come back to kind of the phase two that you see happen uh, in the patients that you do this with. So what was your, um, when you started doing it, how did you um, start to implement it, putting braces and sort of educating the patients, explaining it to the patients, and we'll get to the airway side in a moment, but just kind of the mechanical side of uh, placing the brackets when you say to a parent, um, seven, eight year old, Hey, look, I'm actually going to put your kid in full braces, knowing that probably they've been for two other opinions and they certainly didn't hear that. Um, how did that happen? And how did you kind of help your team see that that was something that you were going to be starting to do? So, so airway will come into this response. Uh, you know, I, I feel our responsibility isn't necessarily to, to treat or, or to tell uh, the parent that this is how we're doing it and this is what you need um, because there there's more to us just evaluating. Uh, I really believe my responsibility as a healthcare provider is to educate the patient mm -hmm. or the parent yep, on what I see, uh, where I, why is it here? You know, why do we have this malocclusion to begin with and where will it be going forward, whether you treat it or not? And, uh, and the treatment approaches uh, or objectives on how I can get you there. And by educating the parent, then <clears throat> they understand better of why I, I see this young child come in. So very common, uh, just as an example, you have you know, uh, a symmetric growth pattern uh, with constricted arches, class one occlusion just really rolled in and really collapsed. And, uh, and, and potential change. And right away, I mean, I, I'll start to discuss some of these aspects where I see all broken down posterior primary teeth, even though there's good occlusion, um, maybe minimal overbite and overjet at this point. Um, but crowded anteriorly. You, yeah. Oh, yeah. well, the, well, yes, sometimes I'll sit there and look and, and I'll start asking questions. And it's not because I know the answers to the questions, but it's just to bring light to the parent on, on recognizing, yep. you know, uh, behavior, uh, sleeping patterns, uh, mouth open, you know, uh, yeah, what are some of the questions I, that you'll, that you'll ask that you, you ask them? Well, yeah, I just, uh, I mean, uh, I'll ask and inquire about, um, you know, if you ever travel with your child and and share a room, you mm -hmm. know, do you hear your kids snoring yep. or mouth breathing? 
or grinding and uh and and do you notice where they're hyperactive and they're just restless at sleeping and, and it all really goes back to you know why do you have this constriction well yep. you know it's uh you have uh, look at the end of the day there's a genetic component and an environmental component yep, exactly. and the environment really <clears throat> contributes uh, a, a majority more way more than we ever considered um but but i i believe it's a majority over the genetic component um yeah and if you look at skulls from a thousand years ago yeah, oh yeah you weren't seeing <laughs> horribly narrow constricted arches with tremendous anterior crowding um it's from i go into this too in some of my my courses yeah. but it was it was diet initially in the industrial revolution a few hundred years ago soft diets yeah. weakened the tongues the tongue strength didn't have to help in the in the mastication of the food uh so the the tongue weakened and then allergies and, and airway issues led to obstruction of nasal passageways lymphoid tissue hypertrophy and it created this sort of cascade where air couldn't get between the nasal passageways, lymphoid tissue, and then tongue obstruction in the oral pharynx. The air can't get to the lungs going through the nose. So what do they do? And the oxygen exchange is different. Uh, nose and mouth. Oh, completely. Oh my gosh. It's night and, and it day. becomes underdeveloped when you're not you breathing through it. your nose. <laughs> you got um, it. Yep. That book breath is, is great. And it speaks uh, on the importance of nasal breathing and it, and it definitely goes into the concepts of how our malocclusions ha have evolved over time yep. and how our jaw structure and our skeletal structure based on diet and evolution and, and crossbreeding, we have small houses for the same size teeth yep. that we did way back then. Yep. So, the etiology of crowding isn't big teeth. Almost and again, McNamara is a great correct. study on that. Um, Indrianti, there's a, there's a few good studies. Um, if uh, when people, the article I've coming out in June in Orthotown, we'll talk about about some touch on some of those. But it, the 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 etiology of crowding is rarely macrodontia. I mean, it's not that it's never clearly, but it's rarely and. Interesting in the book, Brad, people in our profession, a lot of them mock it because he's not a doctor and, and he's a, he's a medical journalist. Okay. So he can't report on, <laughs> he can't read literature and data and, and report on, on his own Just experiences. Facts. He, exactly. I mean, it, I, I think sometimes we get so caught up in, um, you know, we always have so many letters after our names um, that we think that people who don't maybe don't know as much as we do. And, and I don't think that's the case. I think they don't have the, obviously the, the, the education we have, but that doesn't mean that they necessarily know less about certain things in life. Um, could, right. could Nestor put brackets on, on, on a patient and, and, and no, of course not, but that's not what he's claiming to do. He's just exposing the fact that if you look at the hard science of what is out there and the literature that's there, there is a lot to support exactly what you just said. Um, and yeah, it always kind of rubs me wrong when our colleagues, you know, mock, I, I just, I don't like mocking sources. I disagree. As I just said, the article by Gianelli, the, his, some of his articles um, and, and Tonke, I, I strongly disagree with them, but I don't mock them from where they're coming from or that they don't have the right to be, you know, say, oh, they're in academia. So they don't know what it's like in private practice. And they know they're brilliant men. I just disagree with with their their approach sure. to it, and that's that's okay. Um, and I'm sure they yeah. disagree with with my approach to to everything there. So it's it's interesting you you touch on that. The other interesting thing you said uh, is, and I found that, and I don't even think we ever really talked about this, but I know a lot of people give a, a very comprehensive airway questionnaire to the patient or parent ahead to the parents in this case ahead of time. And what I found is when I got too deep on that, you lost them. You know, mom and dad, they're filling this thing out. Probably we, we know because our forms were online. 
digital, we can track when they fill them out. Most of these people are filling these things out at 11 o'clock the night before the exam. I mean, they're not filling this thing out, you know, well ahead of time. And you ask them about snoring and mouth breathing. And of course we do put those in our basic medical history, adenoid or tonsil removal, snore or mouth breathe. But what you said is so important. I found that when I spent the time in the consultation, that ex that couple of minutes and just asked them questions like that, not just do they snore, but exactly what you just said. When you're uh, in a hotel room together, right? Do you hear Johnny snoring or, you know, does his sister uh, in the room next to him ever say that or don't getting to know their situation? And I'm telling you, Jeff, when I started doing that, I would watch these parents faces and they're like, they just nod. They start nodding. Yeah. Like, yes, they do that. Yes, they do that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then they start to look at you like, how did you know that? And then I start to say, yeah. oh, they're a restless sleeper. Yeah. Do they kick the covers off? Like, you know, in, in the morning, they're, they're upside down in the bed or the cover. Yeah. And they're like, out. I can't wake them up. They're like a zombie in the morning, but then they're hyper during the day. Oh, they're a little hyperactive. Anything in school with the hyperactivity? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're not, you know, reading at grade level anymore. They used to, you know, all the, and you just start to talk to them. And man, you know, I, I went at a, a, a company recently who, uh, I should say when I just, I just sent them an email saying, look, I don't appreciate it. They, they were promoting a consultant who I don't even know what consultant is. I have nothing against her, but was the thing was the doctorless consultation. And I'm like, man, why do we, do we really want to go there? I mean, do we really want to remove us from the process? And at that point, if we're doing a doctorless consultation and treating them with clear aligners, whatever you know you, you choose, or let's say light force or something, right? That's more automated. How far are we f f at that point? I mean, we're within arm's length of over-the-counter services at that point, right? And you could say, well, you're trained. It's in the background. Your TCs are trained to do it. I get it. But there are certain things that we are trained to do in all of our years of school. And one of them is exactly what you just said. That is looking at our patient's records, looking in our patient's mouth and taking five to 10 minutes to just process it and talk to the parents and the patient about it. And if you can't do that in, in a day, and, and, and maybe this isn't the most popular thing to say, maybe people won't like that I say this, but, but uh, people who know me know I, I speak what I, what I think. And, uh, I don't, I don't think that you're doing a service to your patients that way. I, I feel that, you know, it may be an 80% of your, of your patients. It's fine. Right. And, and you'll be fine. And it's, it's just a matter of like, let's say Mike, I'd say maybe 20%. I, I'd well, say that, it's the small majority. I agree with you. And, and, you know, people argue, Oh, well, you know, if it's 13 year old, with just braces. But how many of your patients, as you just said, are those kids that's just like, they're a little crowded. I, I didn't, I mean, I didn't don't see a lot of anymore. those patients. Yeah, we, no, we don't no. get them. <laughs> this isn't this isn't class one crowding and just changing no. colors anymore. No, no, that that doesn't exist. We don't and, get and, those. And kids. honestly, when when I speak to the parents, the their usual response is, "Nobody's ever spoken to me this way." And yes. Had yes. This thorough of yes, a discussion. Exactly. It. About and now I understand. And how would they understand? I grew up in a family of dentists and orthodontists, and I knew nothing about really the concepts of, of teeth and malocclusion and evolution mm -hmm. of it and how it, you know, arises uh, until I went to school and became educated on it. Yep. So how can the typical parent that gets no, no exposure to these concepts ever know it? It's not just about making pretty straight teeth. There's a lot more to this. Let me discuss what's going on and where I see things going, whether we intervene or we don't. And yep. that's really your parental decision. And now you have 
uh, an educational concept of understanding to make informed decisions and educated decisions. And and the response is only exponentially positive. That's what I was um, going to say. So what what is your been your experience after you go through this and you start to uncover these issues? What's yeah, like, like you say, little jo- little Johnny it, it pays attention in, in class. Like the teacher tells me, he doesn't stand at his desk anymore. It's right. He, yep. He's he's just and you know it's I don't want to get into too much of you know the overdiagnosed ADHD and, and hyperactive uh, you know mindsets uh, because my my one of my kids is just always had energy. I mean, mm-hmm. he's an athlete and he always had energy and. Fortunately, one of his teachers let him stand at his desk and he did better um, <laughs> because that sleep is critical and the, the quality sleep is critical and the oxygen exchange is, is everything. And here it's more common to hear people speak of sleep disorder or sleep concerns and why am I going to wait till it's a problem? when I can address it, you know, and, and eliminate it skeletally, uh, you know, from such a young age, it, it's, it's, it's like the heart disease. I'm not gonna, I, so, so really you bringing this to light for me was, was critical in my timing because at the time I, w- I was really, I had, I had a practice that was, I would say 80% adult malocclusions, 80% adult patients. And, uh, it just happened to be in my career where I got all the complicated cases, the interdisciplinary cases of adults that needed to go into restorative dentistry, full mouth rehabs, pre-prosthetic workups. And, you know, so I'm looking at it from a perspective of how did these people get to this position to begin with? Yeah, I'm going to align their right. teeth. I'm right. going to set this up for restorative means and, and, um, uh, but why can't I address this before it's a problem? Mm-hmm. Um, and why is it a problem? What is the etiology of all this? And uh, yeah, you you know, you, maybe you start to create this mindset of you're looking for what you want to see. But no, I mean, I'm studying in my office and the prevalence of max deficiencies is, is different from what it used to be. I'd argue that all day. Um, so it's just all tied together and it's changed everything about how, how I do orthodontics and my phase twos don't really exist. You know, it's <laughs> like such a, a slam dunk when you do this. In phase and, one. And, and the initial, <laughs> the initial resistance, like you say was, Oh, you want to treat somebody twice. You want to charge them twice. That mm-hmm. was common. Uh, but it also was, uh, you know, is it saving treatment time or it's now double the treatment time. And, and what I educate the parent is, you know, we can wait. Here's where I see your malocclusion, your crowding, your constricted arches, your divergent occlusal plane and growth pattern. And we can plan to take teeth out later. We can plan for growth modification later. You're looking at a three-year treatment plan with maybe taking out teeth. Mm-hmm. Or if I intervene at a young age and I spend one year now, mm-hmm. specific objectives, I'm not mm-hmm. accomplishing the world. I'm not changing everything, but yep. one year of developing arches, then my phase two, when you have all your adult teeth, is it even needed? Not always. Not always. Uh, but mm-hmm. Not always. The teeth have their parking place and they know where to erupt. Yep. And okay, the rotations. So yes, there there warrants a phase two. What is that phase two as a teenager? 12, 14 months? You know, exactly. that's your class one crowded case. Completely. Uh, it, right, right. Or if you get the one that you knew was retrognathic in phase one, 
pre-phase one, I'll explain to them, uh, yeah. look, the, Johnny is a two-phase kid. Like you, we are going to, you know, things are going to look great. We're going to make room for the teeth, but he has a small lower jaw and we can't do much about that until he's closer to his pubertal growth spurt. So he's going to need me to go in later and he's going to have, you know, more than the typical 10, 12 month second phase. He's just one of those kids who needs two rounds. It's just, you know, a lot of times a parent's like, oh, that's him with everything, right? You know, he's the problem child. Right. You know, parents right. but, but people get that, that certain kids are different. And, and you, it's such a great point you make. It's how you explain it and educate it to the parent. And if your mindset is, and I think actually if I take that a step back further, I think the reason why as orthodontists, we, we, we tend to put up such a wall and barrier with this is even when I was, I know for sure when I was doing headgear and lip bumper at the very beginning of my practice, I wasn't making phase two a heck of a lot easier. When I did upper and lower expanders, turnkey, hyrax type, I, I, it made it a little easier, but I really didn't see that many patients that I either eliminated phase two or really made it kind of a slam dunk, quick, easy 10, 12 month. Because when you're expanding those arches, as we all know, you know, you get over expansion, the sixes, the sevens come in. There's just a lot of things. The arches aren't coordinated. Mm. I think it's D'Souza, one of his articles that talks about the arch deformation that happens. If you don't address the incisors and arch form, if you just expand, we've all seen that. So if you have these patients that you're doing this phase one on and you're doing a lot of heavy lifting, right? Things like headgear, lip bumper, expanders, and you don't get a real reduction in phase two. I can see where people are going to, our colleagues and the public are going to say, what the heck is this phase one thing all about? I'm wasting my time and money. I can do without it. Once I put these kids in full braces and I saw, holy cow. And the arch is what I determined too. And it'd be interesting to hear, I don't, again, I think we've spoken specifically about this indirectly, maybe, is the arch form that we get with, you know, expander, you get, you have this narrow V, you get this wide V still, right? And right. how many cases did you see where you put an expander? And let's say, let's even say someone who doesn't believe in any real arch development in phase one, but they just treated someone with a unilateral or bilateral posterior crossbite with an RPE, right? You go in, you expand, <clears throat> you end up with this wide V. And the canines are impacted still, right? And you end up not enough room for those canines. You're 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 sweating every time they come in for a follow up progress uh, radiograph in in retention. Where are those canines? Are they going to come down? Now you got to tell the parents, I got to pull up or buys maybe and exposures. And they're like, Why did we Why did we do phase one? I thought that that would solve this, so forth. I can't think of a case unless it was just like a genetically say horizontal canine that was just never going to turn and come down. My incidence of canine impaction for a patient I did phase one on that, you know, obviously I saw it still with people who never came in for a first phase. I think it literally almost went away. I mean, it just, because you're getting, you're getting the space where you need it, the anterior middle thirds of the arch when you're using the braces versus expanders and you're not over expanding and blowing them out posteriorly, which has negative effects. I would get some of these kids and I'd be trying to get the space anteriorly and get them wide enough to get the arch right. And again, not space just because I didn't want to pull teeth, but space because that's where the etiology was. I was trying to mm -hmm. fix the etiology. I couldn't get it. And you keep creeping that expander out. And now these kids start looking disfigured at eight years old and you're getting these, you know, wide nose starts to bridge of the nose changes. And you're getting the parents like they look too wide. And so when I went to braces, that just went away. And I, I was like, I can't believe this. And back to your initial point of, of phase two, I mean, it's slam dunk. And the phase one retention, it retains its, I mean, I, I use upper and lower Essex C plus. 
Um, and I do full-time three months, nights only. And after that, you just cut them out chair side. They're really easy to adjust. But the tongue, the equilibrium you create, which is what you were you know, saying with the it, the because the tongue can come forward and sit forward and they'll kind of transition this into the airway changes you've seen, it and maintains it itself and elevates, right? And keeps the shape of that palate. It maintains itself so beautifully. I used to see RPE cases that would kind of collapse a little bit and you'd get that high vaulted palate would come back. Well, I think it was because looking at it critically, I didn't make enough room anteriorly for the tongue. I made a ton in the back, right? But in the front, I never developed the anterior enough. And so that tongue never could really come and sit forward and superior. And the tongue would then, when I took the expander out, settle back. And I used Hollies at that point for them. And kids hated Hollies. And as teeth start to fall out, they stop wearing them because they don't fit anymore. And so I would get relapse. Now, if I have a kid that stops wearing the retainers, yeah. you might see the incisors a little bit move, but literally the transverse is rock solid. It just doesn't go back. And if it does, it's like, let's say you have a you know two millimeter change or something. And in phase two, it's an absolute piece of cake to just, you know, to, to touch it up if they need it. So it's, it's really interesting. So on that note, tell me about your airway evaluation terms, like how you work with your ENT and allergist or how you work with your medical colleagues when you see certain problems. Because one of the things I want to make clear to people is I know you don't, and I certainly don't and never did go out and tell people, oh, put braces on kids at seven and, and everyone will breathe better. I mean, that's insane. And, and it's certainly not even close to what either of us are saying or ever did. It's about, again, the etiology. And if they are narrow and have a transverse discrepancy and you see it as the symptom of anterior significant crowding and you develop the arch and make more room for the tongue you can and the change the shape of the roof of the mouth, you can improve the airway. That being said, a lot of people say, oh, you need to send these kids for sleep studies. And my attitude was a couple of things. Number one, how easy is it for the average working parent, maybe single parent, with X number of kids to take this kid and them go sleep overnight in a sleep lab and hook this kid up to dozens of electrodes, right? Practically. And what are you going to gain from it? They just told me he's snoring. <laughs> they just told me he's a mouth breather and I can see that he's got crowding. So why not address the intraoral problem? And if I need to have my ENT or allergy colleagues involved, for the uh, lymphoid tissue and or nasal passageways, let's do that. But I'm not about making it like, let's diagnose them with sleep apnea. No, they have sleep disorder breathing. It's clear because once you mm -hmm. snore and mouth breathe, you have sleep disorder breathing by definition. So we know that's, a, that's the case. Mom just told me, right? Why don't we just address it that way? So talk me through, and I don't, again, I don't know if we ever specifically spoken on those details of how we approach that. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on kind of when you detect those issues, how much you, you know, looking at the airway on radiographs and, 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 and actually another good point, to my knowledge, you don't use cone beam, right? You use still, so this, a lot of people think you need to have a cone beam to be able to see and detect and uncover these airway problems. You don't. And I'll let you explain how you do it uh, and how you figure that out and how you discuss that with the the, the patient and their family. Right. Uh, like I'm not, I'd say I'm not necessarily needing that sleep study to diagnose sleep apnea. That's not necessarily what I'm trying to do, but I do, I can 
readily just with our standard way of taking records diagnose sleep disorder or or airway concern right and exactly. and still educating yep. the parents on, on my professional opinion on, on my evaluation of these concerns and exactly. uh, and then and then I elaborate in it and I look at the CEF and I start to explain to them you know the upper airway and you know as you breathe through your nose this is where you have obstruction or potential obstruction and yep. you know they say oh yeah I've been told I have deviated septum. I would argue we all have a little bit, a bit of a deviated <laughs> septum. Um, but but what about the size of the adenoids? Yep. And and then, you know, your lower airway and, and looking at the size of your tonsils and the influence of these things. And, um, and what I, I tend to explain is, is that when I was a kid, people had tonsils and adenoids removed when you were sick all, all the time. It was yep. kind of that time period. And that's when, when what was going on. And then they really stopped for a long time. Uh, and they weren't really addressing as much. And, yep. and that's where uh, uh, big pharma and medicine came in uh, and, and steroids and nasal sprays. And, yep. and, uh, and there's a place for it. And what I kind of speak to the parents about is, OK, if you have this obstruction, you can take medicine for it for three months and then stop or chances are years until adenoids really reduce into the teenage years or you can consider removing the obstruction entirely mm -hmm. but that's not for me to make that decision exactly. we're, we're a team and i'm i got my team within my office that that is critical just like potential uh, an evaluation of an ent to say okay your adenoids truly are enlarged and it's something to consider but it doesn't all come from one place we don't correct class two malocclusions all from growing the mandible. I mean, it's a little right. here and a little there. And, uh, and orthodontics has a critical role in that as one of the facilitators. And uh, if I, I, I just, I witnessed it, um, that when I intervene with these kids at the right time for the right patient, then growth and behavior and breathing and all of that change radically. So is it wrong? You know, someone, and I get, you know, that resistance, I get the resistance from ENTs, I get resistance from parents, and I get calls from dentists that say, I can, why are you doing this? Like, mm -hmm. uh, are other people doing this? And I don't know, I'm no pioneer, but someone had to be the tip You're of like, the spear. Yeah, there's some clown that was in upstate New York doing it. <laughs> I some, mean, right, yeah, right, right. Uh, that's right. I know this one clown, uh, but but truthfully, uh, uh, this way we, we we understand the principles and our objectives are 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 being addressed, and and we're being successful. Then how can you still naysay it or dismiss it before you've even listened to it or considered mm -hmm. it? Yep. And you know, yep. shame on me to say this in San Diego. I mean, I, I I joke that we're trying to change the Navy here and and an old way of doing things. Uh, and uh, and I understand that concept and that reservation. But sit down, listen with just an open mindset. It's it's. I'm not trying to preach my politics to you. I'm just right. trying to explain the rationale of what I see. And uh, so so I do think an ENT and a primary care is part of the team and mm -hmm. I leave that to the responsibility of the parent, but yep. I speak yep. to them and send my letters of yep. these yep. are my observations. These are my opinions. These are my recommendations. And, 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 and I address it the way I know how to address it. And, and it's orthodontically.
that's where I, that's what we do. Right. Right. Like I'm not doing it because I'm diagnosing them with sleep apnea. So I'm putting, I'm expanding them like that. That's not what it is. No, I'm, I took a thorough history. I realized they have these sleep issues, but my priority, as you said, is the orthodontics. Conversely, I'm not going in on kids with broad or arches and sleeping disorders of which you almost see none ironically or not ironically as the case might be. But when's the last kid you saw with these big broad horseshoe arches come in that had these same sleeping issues? It almost. I'm sure you sleep like a baby. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've got the nasal passage. You got the nasal. Yeah. Yeah. From an arch form perspective, I'm good. But that actually to that point, that's the complexity of it where every patient and taking the time to look at every patient is so important. And when you see that kid, that's really broad and I can't help, right? Like, I mean, let's say they're eight years old, class one, good spacing, broad arches. I don't tell them if I put braces on them and expand their arches, I'm going to improve their snoring because that is not a me thing. And I can't, I can't improve their intraoral environment anymore. That is, that's the kid. I would say you need a sleep study. You need to go talk to your, your, your pediatrician and, and an allergist and or ENT because they need to figure out why Johnny doesn't breathe well through his nose because I can tell you it's not because of his mouth. Um, right. And it's not That's because right. of his tongue, unless he's macro as a uh, macroglossia or something as like a huge tongue, which again, not that we can treat, but we can certainly diagnose and help with that. But you almost never see those patients. And that's what I say to people too. And I think we get caught in these always nevers. And you touched on something there, which in the article in Orthotown that the CE article uh, part one, that's coming out in June that I talk about the paradigm shift. And that shift is a mentality shift, right? It's not a shift in treatment. I mean, we're using, okay, use braces to develop arches in phase one. Well, we've used braces for, for a very, very long time. So it's not that it's like a paradigm shift, like, oh, uh, we're doing something in the profession that has never been done before. Uh, like say clear aligners, right? They were a paradigm shift from a clinical perspective. This is a conceptual paradigm shift. This is treating the etiology, as you exactly said, right? This is not looking at it as symptom, a symptom-driven approach where that kid comes in at seven, eight. What do most of our colleagues do? And I'm not being critical. I, we did it too. We, we, had, we pushed ourselves to evolve differently and from a mental standpoint. You would say, how much crowding is it? Am I going to need to pull teeth, right? It, it, can I do this with space maintenance? Can I get them in that early mixed dentition as Janelle used to talk about? And, and, you know, he used to talk about, I can basically say, save most people from extraction. If you start treating them in that mid to late mixed dentition, again, that to me is symptom driven. You're just focused on how you're going to deal with the crowding of the teeth. We're talking about something very different, which is why are the teeth crowded? Yeah. Why are they crowded? Why, why does this kid look like this? We it's know everything. it's- Right. And we know it's almost certainly not genetics. Because a lot of times too, these parents will be like, Yeah, I had some braces, but I didn't have his problems. And dad, you know, dad had, you know, didn't even have anything. And you look at Johnny and and you know, the arch is like this, and he's you know, and you've got the thick gingiva and the chap lips. And do we really want to make that discussion about whether we need to pull teeth? Like <laughs> that to me is so secondary in this. It's the last thing you want to do. <laughs> It's the last thing you want to do is is take teeth out and further constrict the arches and, right. and destroy little Johnny. 
Right. You know, and, and the hypertrophy of the gums isn't because he doesn't brush his teeth. You know, how many times can you tell the kid brush his teeth? It's because the environment in his mouth is, is different. It's because his mouth is open all the time. And therefore, the, the, the architecture of the gums is different. There's no Completely. inflammation. It's right. It's Good point. Yeah, there, there's yeah. very big difference. Yeah. And, and the paradigm shift, it, it, it is finally happening. And, I, and I'm, I'm thrilled that we're living in that concept and time for orthodontics and in medicine and uh and peter atia speaks about uh longevity and and mm-hmm. and he 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 speaks about why are you going to wait to to exercise and eat healthy when you already have you know diabetes no mm-hmm. you're gonna address it and at a young age and the earlier the better and you won't end up with these kind of ailments and that's our responsibility we're seeing kids younger and younger and we help them on this journey and we Mm -hmm. don't have the big problems later because we've addressed the true ideology of what's going on and so yeah it's a it it it, it's great to be part of this shift because it's effective and i would do it for my kids and that's how i look at everybody yeah Uh, well if you're my brother or or you're my family how i recommend the same thing or at least I'd educate you the same way. Yep. And if my brother doesn't listen, then that's that's their parental decision. Of course. My brother never listens. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> but it's any different. It's so true. And and I think that's one of the things you and I have had in common from the very beginning. And we talked about this. I'm going back to UConn days was we look at everybody like they're a family uh, from our patients. How would I treat my own family member? And I think if people kind of from a moral compass, not to get all, you know, like we're so ethical, but I, it doesn't it's just a general statement. If you look at every patient and treat every patient like they're a family member in terms of how you approach their case and how you, what you try to do for them. I always felt that I took that responsibility of my patients and doing right by them very seriously. And when you do, and you've told me some of these stories, but elaborate on some of the the feedback after you've changed these kids' lives um, that happened to you to in your practice tell, you know, just pick a story or two of some of the things that, that, that happened when you started treating kids this way. Yeah. It's just, uh, the response, the kids, they don't know the difference too much unless they, they don't look right. You know, if they have that psychosocial aspect of it and it's real rewarding, uh, which is another side, by the way, that, that I found is just awesome. Yeah. Bit much. These kids just love how they look after, but anyway, go ahead. No, just, but some of the, some of like I've had, some of the moms uh, say, you know, just everything from the first time they, they met me and they listened to what I had to say and they considered it and checked off the box of, yes, my kid has this and airway and mouth breathing and and all these things. Uh, and, and then they got to witness it on their child of, of how everything's changed for them. That They've had me come to speak to their mom, you know, mom groups. Yep. Uh, hey, can because you never get this information unless you seek it yourself. I mean, yep. now with the internet, you can find information and listen to podcasts like this and, and, and start to be informed. But unless you fall into that office, how are you going to know? So here was an opportunity for a group of mothers uh, or parents, because um, there were fathers, and uh, to to just listen to the philosophy. They wanted to hear the philosophy of, of why I treat kids at a young age and why some of their, their friend, their kids, friends had expanders or braces on the front. What do you mean? You put braces everywhere. I, 
I see kids with just bracing on the forefront teeth. Well, kind of you touched on if you just expand and, and you still have this expanded V arch, V shaped arch, then you've never addressed the anterior. Yeah. Well, four anterior brackets doesn't address the curvature uh, of the arch. Nope. It's a, uh, and I'm makes not a nice trying flat, to makes a nice flat front, front, you know, yeah. it makes a nice flat front on a, on a front of a, of a big V. It's a fence. It's, yeah. it's a fence. I'll never put four <laughs> brackets alone. It just, uh, it just, so again, I just think about what I'm trying to achieve. That's exactly what I've been finding is that parents just, they want, they, they are frustrated that no one else is doing this because they have mm -hmm. friends and other family cousins that go to other practices in that area or other areas. And like, why is no one else doing this? And not everybody agrees. And I tell people, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I'm just yep. trying to allow you to see it from my perspective, yep. allow you to understand the concerns I have long-term and get into my brain. So you, you understand my rationale for my decision-making yep. and uh, it's like 10 times out of 10, that it's a positive response and, and grateful responses. And I have, I have had, I had parents literally in the consult when I started talking to this way, to figuring this out about their kid, I've had moms break down in tears. I've had moms who literally started crying, like in not bawling, crying, but tearing up going, I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. I've been telling the pediatrician, or I, I knew something was wrong with him. I knew you know, moms know they have such intuition. Dads, well, sometimes we, we know, but we don't, we don't have, have to land on our lap. <laughs> that'd be a little, little more obvious for us, but moms have this, the, this maternal instinct and they know when something's not right with their kid. And, and they may even not know it consciously, but I've had multiple moms and, and I, at the end I've had moms just like, and dads, truthfully, I have actually some video of both of just being like, I, this is crazy what happened to this kid. Like, it, this is crazy what happened. Do you, would you, do you find that those people become ambassadors of your practice? Do they refer other people? How did definitely. it? Yeah, definitely. So do people start I, yeah. to come in now that you've been doing it for a bunch of years? Do people call asking for this? Do they, do they come in and say, you know, kind of, what do you, what do you see from that side? I, I think it's the the best form of marketing from every level because mm -hmm. here you're helping individuals and that's how an authentic way of growing a practice. Yep. And I'm not a big marketer uh, because I'm not trying to sell anything. Same. Uh, I never was I, I just trying to inform and provide and care. And, uh, and yes, they're, they're the best kind of referrals and, yep. and the best kind of patients that you want to be a part of their kids' lives. Yep. And you get to see them grow up into confident individuals. It's, uh, so yes, I mean, regularly, that's how, you know, the word of mouth growth is what, what I see yep. for sure. Yeah. It almost precedes itself. I, I, I found I had to do much less explaining of this. It takes years. Um, and I, there were people early on that actually I would tell me, no, we're going with the other opinion because they use expanders and, and our dentist said that's been around longer. And that happened to me initially. And, um, mm -hmm. it was, wasn't often, but it happened. And, but I'll tell you after like four or five years of doing it, you know, we'd get calls from people from all over, like we want the guy who does this without expanders. And uh, yeah. I certainly didn't do it for that reason, but I think it's important for our colleagues to know that once you start doing this, you get a reputation in your community as somebody, not only who who, who does something others aren't doing, but as a thinker and as a people had so much more respect for me as a clinic, as a uh, diagnostician, uh, you know, I think mm -hmm. people, I had a lot of respect for my clinical ability, even prior to me getting a reputation going in, doing this young. But as I started seeing within the, the general dentist, pediatric dentist community, uh, a lot more um, referrals, people would come in saying like, you can figure things out. Others can't.
and and it and it 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 wasn't really necessarily that I the others can't do it. It's just I was willing to look at it a little differently. Like like we're anyone anyone who's gone through yep. the schooling we've gone through is capable of figuring out what you and I are talking about right here. It's not it's, the majority it's not of those orthodontists have are more intelligent than me alone. But yeah, yeah. We're, I mean, I wouldn't just put like, my IQ up against theirs. I agree. You know, they they I are, just listened. I listened yeah. to what you were having to say without just dismissing it. And yep. I and and I'm, I'm thankful that that I did. Uh, it's it's been a game changer and a life changer for me professionally That's and awesome. personally. So I appreciate that. And on that note, the next sort of change here you're going through, which which I didn't have any experience with. I I don't know. Um, you know, I had finished up my clinical practice um, right within the past year. So Lightforce is is a newer product that you've been using, and now it's time for for you to kind of teach me. I mean, you've, you've told me some really cool things about, about what it's done in your phase one, um, approach. So again, in my online, the courses, I teach people how to put the brackets on the primary teeth because there's a learning curve. You know, you and I spent a lot of time on the phone, kind of just give you the strategies on where to place them. And I go into that in my courses, because if you just throw them on teeth blindly on the primary teeth, you know, brackets going to come off. You're going to have a lot of breakage. You're going to interference occlusally and, 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 and so forth. But you took it a step further, which again, as I said, I love about how you approach things. You're always trying to get one step better. And, and you started doing this for, for uh, with Lightforce. So talk to me a little bit about how that's taken it even a step further on these phase one, phase one braces patients. Yeah, and, and I'm not speaking for Lightforce. I'm just speaking of a, a method of how I practice. Uh, yes, and so I, I have no financial ties, anything at all to Lightforce um, in any way. So thank you for so, that. So some of the early challenges that I really had with putting brackets on primary teeth was, was the anatomy, the anatomy of the primary first and second molars. Mm -hmm. The rest of it was pretty much the same. Bonding yep. is bonding and yep. the dentition anatomy is very similar. But the primary first and second molars is very different. Yep. And the traditional way of, of brackets for the last 30 plus years it is a concept based on averages of tooth size. So you would have a, a pad that fits all teeth. Well, it was never really designed to fit primary teeth. <laughs> right. So here we're bonding to really big um, con convex uh, anatomy and you would have breakage. So there's strategy to where to place that bracket and it works. I mean, I do it all the time, but now with, customization uh and that's what life force is life force is is a way to print and design your bracket to the actual need of that patient specifically so no other human on earth has that exact bracket design because it's the pad is printed to the exact anatomy of the tooth so here i just you know, okay, custom brackets, you know, I wasn't totally interested, but I was willing to listen to what it was about and how I can apply it, you know, so I listened. And what I started to think about is, okay, now I can have a pad that is the exact anatomy of the primary first and second molars. Mm -hmm. And, and yep. exponentially just bonding is, is, is a joke. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and it bonds perfectly every time better than I ever I could place it. Um, but more so to that is I can be really strategic on how to address my objectives. Mm -hmm. So 
if I'm treating a seven, eight year old because of real constricted arches and, and trying to create this dental alveolar uh, arch form, well, I can, so very common on the lower arch, everything's rolled lingually. Well, now I can design the bracket to have more torque and mm -hmm. uprighting in the posterior in the bracket design. It's yep. huge. Yep. You know, just putting the wire to do it expands in a traditional bracket, but it still keeps the teeth rolled lingually mm -hmm. because yeah. it, it's it's that kind of prescription. Yep. Um, so here and you can say, oh, give me the Roth or MVT or whatever you want. Now you have just here it's it, most orthodontists have one system maybe a couple systems in their in their practice i have more because i believe in everybody is that individual and with life force i don't hold that inventory right. i create yeah. it individually yeah so yep i used I, to have a separate uh, set of braces for my comprehensive you know adult permanent dentition cases and my phase one cases i had two totally different they're actually different manufacturers yep. Uh, for my braces because i had to build a prescription uh custom for my phase one um and uh, i keep referencing that i do explain this in my course but it's a lot of work and i had to you know the, the reps are like well we don't really have that but i can give you this angulation and this tip and mm -hmm. and 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 there's a lot of heavy lifting there number one and then you have to track different bracket systems what you're saying with life force is as you've explained it to me that just sounds so much simpler for that. It, um, it, it is such an incredible concept to be that strategic uh, and that specific that, you know, off the charts, efficiency, um, chair time, treatment time, visit time. I mean, that, that's studied and, and it, you can naysay it uh, because, oh, what do I need a custom bracket for? I've been doing it this way for my whole, right. whole career at right. traditional brackets. Okay, you yeah. know, who who uses roll up windows? Right. I, I mean, I, I, I love vintage. Uh, right, I, I'm right, all sure. about a, yeah. an old vintage Bronco, sure. But uh, I I love my electric windows, and I love the efficiency and technology of being custom to what I want to achieve, and that is the principles of Light Force and how I can apply it to the challenges in primary dentition is uh, is exactly where it's at for me. Uh, and how I use, I'm using it, and more and more, I, I, I'm start. I've started slow uh, in that I was using it just for sp specific cases, uh, and now just more and more, uh, I'm gonna bring it into yeah. Uh, it, and, and kids still want metal braces and they want the colors. And I tell them, you know, put the colors on, on the light force is yeah. only clear, uh, and you see that color pop. I yep. mean, it's it's it's, it's you know gorgeous but uh yeah the color and the the prettiness and aesthetics is not my objective it's how can i be more effective and successful and this is how i one of the ways i do it big armamentarium yeah no that's that's great my it, you know, i love learning about this stuff too and and it, it sounds like that's because because it took me it is a learning curve when you start pl placing these practice brackets on baby teeth it's you know, I think back to it and then it's like, oh no, I mean, I got so, I got so good at it and so efficient, just like anything we do as orthodontists that you kind of forget the pain you went through to figure out how you got there. But there were some pain points, you know, for sure along the way. Um, and, and, uh, I, I kind of developed a bunch of hacks to figure out how to bypass it. But if you don't have to do that and physically do that chair side and you can, 
do it digitally proactively again the proactive approach versus the reactive um it, it makes it makes complete sense so i appreciate and the, it and the, and the procedure of the chair time i mean just the so you're not sitting there placing brackets so life force is, is an indirect bonding system yep. um versus right. traditional There's placement a clinical of brackets. Efficiency. yeah so, so the the chair time for for the kid is is you know, start to finish, you do an arch in no time. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's it's insane. And the jigs are, are off the charts accurate. Like I'm actually studying that. I'm just curious myself on, on the accuracy of these jigs uh, and the placement of that bracket. So if there's a learning curve in anything we do, yep. of course. And uh, but if you're trying to meet a, an objective of chair time or comfort or, or getting a, a child through an experience, Here's, you know, another way of doing it. And right. I have less chair time and, right. and, and less debonds and, right. and, and less repos. Yep. Uh, so so that is how I implement it. And, I, cool. and I'm thrilled with it. And that's why I'm in this meeting, because I just want to learn more about it. Yeah. Get better at it. Well, that's that's great. And I appreciate you you sharing that because it's I like to continue to learn and and it helps me to see and, and be able to help other docs that that take my coaching or courses, ask questions about this stuff and and um Again, no financial ties at all. Just I love great companies that do great things with with innovative, great products. And um, you know, if it's something that that can help the patients or the doctors doing it, or and both, and that's then I'm all I'm all for it. So that's cool. So, but well, well, I thank you. Um, I know it's bright and early out there uh, in the morning before your meeting, so you're gonna you gotta get shoving off to get uh, get to the meeting on time. But um, I don't know if you know, but you were really instrumental in me kind of going and taking this leap to teach. And we've never really specifically talked about this, but there was a time I remember I was in a, in the car and um, it was after I'd made the decision to slow down my private practice and, and go into teaching. And I was starting to get kind of like, well, I, I think I could teach in some different areas. I could do some stuff on like, you know, herbs and, and Invisalign and different things and, and even get into some of the financial stuff of, of how I was able to retire the age I did. And, and I remember you saying, you're like, you need to get the phase one stuff out there. You're like, you're like, that's your calling. That's your, that's what, you know, it, you, you explain. That's when I really started to realize how much it changed your practice and, and how much it, it, it had an impact on you. Um, and like, you just need to get it out there. This changes kids lives. And, and, and I, I, I can literally picture where I was on the road when you said it, um, because it, you know, I, I was starting to to just think, well, maybe I don't want to go all in on that. So what I decided to do is 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 basically build Doc to look orthodontic coaching uh, to be something that will eventually get more even more comprehensive, but make the initial focus, which if people go online and look at a lot of the course content, po early podcasts, a lot of it is actually almost all of it is on this. Um, I didn't even get into you with the cleft craniofacial population and how this works with them. It is just unreal. There is a course on the doc website about that. I'll be having um, a, a craniofacial surgeon on um, ENT to talk about that more on the podcast, but um, it, it, it spoke to me. So I appreciate you kind of giving me a little, little uh, kick in the backside to be like, no, like the, if you're stopping practice to go teach this, you need to focus on this side of it. And, and I remembered that and I went all in on building the systems to, to make this, this the case. So um, yeah, I appreciate that and appreciate your, your friendship and, and our, uh, collegiate interactions that we've had over the years. Um, you know, someone I always enjoy talking to and, and not just in this forum on a podcast, but, but about all things in life, we, we, uh, we kind of share a, uh, share a vision and a philosophy in a lot of ways. And, and it's just kind of transcended even, uh, what we do do clinically and, and professionally. So, um, you know, but it, I appreciate you taking the time to share this stuff, uh, 
because it's just not something that our colleagues are hearing a lot of. And I can sit here and talk about it all day, uh, but hearing it from someone who learned it and then went and implemented it and what it did for you and your practice, I just think is really, really helpful for, for docs out there who might be thinking about this and, and, and not knowing what the next step is. So I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Right back at you. Really, uh, you, you've helped me be better. Uh, and, and, and really we're in this for healthcare. So you've helped more patients have better results. And that's, uh, and with no ulterior motive, but just to provide, you know, the best quality healthcare we, we can. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, our friendship is, is way more than just professional and, uh, and this is an honor and, uh, I'm happy to, uh, to speak about it and I thank you, you know, yeah. really. Cool. Yeah, same here. So, well, thanks so much. Enjoy. Have fun out there in, in Cali at, uh, at the Light Force meeting. Learn lots. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. All right. All right Take bye. care, Mike. All right, talk Appreciate to you. it. Thank you, too. Thank you for watching this episode of the Doc Podcast. Be sure to visit theorthocoach.com to get access to CE courses or schedule a private one-on-one -on -one coaching session with me. And remember to join the doc community on Locals for more great content designed to help you succeed both personally and professionally. Just go to Locals and search for the doc community. You can also find doc on Instagram at at the ortho coach. And remember, you have the power to do amazing things.